You know what? After our chat with Michelle Johnson, Maria and I could not stop thinking about what we talked about and what we didn't get a chance to talk about and what we'd learned and how that's impacted conversations that we're still having on the issues of social justice and racism. We both feel like these conversations have planted seeds that are pretty eager to grow. And so we thought we'd try something new and share a little bit of the after effects. And so that's what you've tuned in to listen to today. A week or so ago, we got together to talk about the process of integrating what we're learning and feeling and what it's been like to really look at who we are, how we've been in the world and our relationship to our own privilege and how we carry that in relationship to our yoga. And that recording is what we're sharing in today's podcast. You know, over time, we've come to feel that many of you are just like us, maybe a little inspired or maybe a little confused or maybe even curious about where all this is going. And I suppose we're hoping that sharing where we are might also motivate you to keep examining where you fit into all of this. But more than anything, it's an invitation to keep these conversations going in your hearts, in your minds, and in your living rooms. Oh, and if you haven't listened to the podcast episode we did with Michelle Johnson, you're definitely going to want to do that before jumping into this one. Enjoy. Start recording. Test, 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 test. Okay, good, good. That's coming up. Excellent. My notes, and then I'm going to switch to look at your lovely, lovely face. Okay. <laughs> Close you, Skype. Boom. Okay. Oh, my goodness. It was really good listening to this again, actually. I don't, I typically do not like listening to myself talk. <laughs> no, I know. But, and, yeah, go. It was just such an, she's just so fantastic. Just, it was just brilliant. And I think that I had, I had gotten off the the call and I was so blown away by how just the depth of her knowledge and experience and, and just the degree to which she answered every question we had like so thoroughly that I remember getting off the call just thinking, you know, I probably I probably just asked a lot of really stupid questions. <laughs> but did you think that when you listened back? Because I didn't think your questions no. were stupid at all. I thought they were beautiful and really vulnerable and um really genuine. Yeah. When I listened back, and you know, I almost feel like we should all get like a do-over <laughs> in our lives. Like, have you ever seen that one? Black Mirror. I don't know if you have, have you ever watched Black no, Mirror. I haven't, I haven't. No. Oh, it's well. It's this. There's this one show where every experience you have is recorded, like through your eyes and like a thingy. And then, like if you're a couple and you're having a fight, then and you know how you always have that, like you said this or you did that. Um, and then you can go back and play it back. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> but anyway, it was really good to go back and listen because. I almost feel like this is one I want to listen to again and again and again, because she just had so much really beautiful and what felt like um, 
the word that's coming to me is timeless, but that's not quite it. What I sort of mean is sort of universally relevant information. Not just of the moment. And I mean, exactly. that shows that I think that shows in that part where you said, you know, I don't know if I'm the person to answer all these questions and represent my race, you know, and she's like, yeah. she said, I've been doing this work, you know, for a while, like I'm ready. I had this work ready. So it's, that's the reason that I can do this is that yeah. she's doing it. But you know, what I, I thought was that she held space that she, the way she listened and I mean, I suppose she could, of course, define white supremacy and racism and things like that. She she knows how to do that. But she also really listened to you and to me to hear what wasn't maybe in there. And and I thought and I thought really picked up and particularly when you asked about when you asked that part about um am I contributing to the problem or or you know, I, what have I not taken on? Yeah. And and she went right to that because she could have just blown by that. Yep. Yeah. That was definitely something I, um, I tuned into as well. You know, and it was just based on listening to her responses. You're right. She could, you, I got a sense that she was very much listening to the undertone and may, and maybe that's what she's used to. She's a she's a Social. social worker. Yeah. So she's obviously used to listening to people um, talk about their situations, but to hear the, you know, the subtext of things. That's right. But she's also a yogi in that she lets her organism and every layer of her being actually feel and, and kind of resonate with what's being said too. Yeah. Like I felt this really deep presence. And when she, when you look at her, like we have the advantage of having the video recall, she's so calm and present. She's not ready to say her spiel back. She's, yeah. she's not in a hurry. Yeah. That was yeah. very touching. Actually. I found it a very yeah. touching conversation mm. where I had potentially been a little bit afraid. Cause I thought I'd be like the white chick that would feel like an idiot and be really uncomfortable. And even when yeah. I asked potentially silly questions or she also held space for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought your questions were great. I thought your interaction um, in the whole uh, experience was was just so perfect, you know? And yeah. one of the things that I thought about, because, yeah, like I was saying, there were times when I thought, oh, I've asked kind of stupid questions. Mm. But what I recognized what was that, some, well, sometimes it was, I was on purpose asking a really simple question because I I knew that there's lots of folks out there who, um, by choice or subconsciously, just are not engaging with this stuff because they don't feel they have to. And so when you just go, okay, what well, at the simplest level, like the words that you're hearing all the time, you if you want to pretend you don't know what these mean, or maybe you maybe you don't because you haven't listened. Let's just take it down and let's just give you what this means at the lowest level. Because I've had a number of situations where I've talked about even just that concept of like spiritual bypassing and people have been like, um, I'm not sure I know what that means. And that's fine, you know, but I thought, no, let's just get, you know, and I thought about when you were asking the question about, um, oh, what was it? It was cultural appropriation or no, it wasn't that one. It was. I think it was before that. 
and she, uh, no, I can't. Oh, you, um, was it the one when you were asking about political? It was, there was one question you were asking in there, which it, it ended up being just a really beautiful. Oh, I, know um, I asked, uh, yeah. I asked, is it a relief or is it like a burden for, for people of color to talk about race? Mm-hmm. Was that one? Mm. Nope, that wasn't it. But damn, that was a good question. That was such a good question. And you know what? Like, in, in, even though I don't know, we went, I, we'd talked about this call before it even happened. And both of us went in with this idea, not necessarily of like educating the world or our audiences, but educating ourselves. And I feel like we, I feel in many ways, like having listened back to it, I feel like we kind of, we kind of did a hat trick. Like, I do feel like we, you know, I was def- definitely educated. There were a number of things in, that I knew nothing about and learned about and nuances of things. Um, but I also feel like we, I feel like we asked, I feel like the conversation itself was quite educational. So it would, ha- would be educational for a wider audience. Yes. Um, yes. I and I don't know, I can't speak about Michelle. I can't speak about her experience, but. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, no, I think her experience, um, because she's been doing this work for years and has probably had every manner of experience. I hope it was to the pleasant side of things, you know, that's all yeah. we vote for. Her. Yeah, I know. And then, <laughs> and then she felt, I guess, our genuineness to not only do our token little, let's have a talk about race. Yeah. Um, but I liked the way she said, you know, she wants to work with people who, who don't just want to bring her in for the three hour workshop and be like, tick, we've done it. But yeah. who, how are they going to sustain the conversation? And I thought a big theme in the conversation was about sustainability yeah. because it, it's not going to be, and, and, and distress tolerance, I guess that, that yoga is about distress tolerance. This work is about distress tolerance and you need to then be resourced and supported if you're going to make it sustainable. Cause otherwise you're going to blow whether, yep. whether you're a person of color, BIPOC person or a, white person. Yeah. So true. And we had this conversation, what, like three, three, about three weeks ago. And I've already began, and you know, and the world has gone on and things have happened and, you know, situations have, have gotten, some have gotten worse. Not a lot, not a lot have gotten better, but Mm. um, situations have definitely shifted. And I have started to hear the grumblings of that that fatigue that she talked about mm-hmm. already. And it comes out in a lot of different ways. And in it is initiated, given that we are sitting in the middle of a freaking perfect storm of, you know, politics and, um, you know, politics and social justice and, and, and mm-hmm. pandemic, you know, people, there are so many different things that are, there are so many different situations that are triggering our reaction to these other parts of the, of, of the perfect storm that. Um... But in every case though, Shara, it shows that the people of privilege yeah. have a choice. So I, yeah. I you know, at, at, we, we, where we live, we're quite privileged. Hopefully we'll stay privileged, but um, where we don't have to kind of over-engage with the pandemic stuff. Cause we had only two cases and I think that's going to change. But yeah. you kind of slightly vague out at it if you want to. Um, yep. You know, you can, you can, if you're white, you can just kind of slide off or in a per- place of privilege, you can be like, okay, well, I did that. I subscribed to Black Lives Matter and I put my black picture on Instagram and I, you know, you know what I mean? The, the non-picture, yeah. whatever it was. And I've kind of done what I've done. 
and I'm done with that. And I can feel it sometimes. I get I get almost daily um, emails from Black Lives Matter, and I can't always take in just I can't always take in everything I get. Yeah, but I'm I'm like, oh no, am I becoming <sighs> complacent? <laughs> I'm for this, you know. But <gasps> and that's my choice because yeah. it's going to come and you know fill me with bullets in the middle of the night or something like that. I'm hoping. But yeah. very unlikely. So that I thought that was really profound for me, and 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 I don't want to make it all about me. But but one of the one of the things that I found really profound was to remember, as a as a person of privilege and not a BIPOC person, that I don't have to engage with it. It's a choice. And so when yeah. I get irritable or a little antsy pantsy about it or uncomfortable, you know, good. Yeah. But, that remember that this is a choice for you. And that's why that's, that's you've know, got to remember it's a choice. And, and so it's a choice to educate yourself and it's a choice to do the uncomfortable work as is yoga, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you can just trance along and yoga for a lot of people is kind of overly confrontational. I mean, unless if you're going to whiff around to do a few salutes to the sun, that's different, but if you're going to go deep with it, you will find stuff that is not that pleasant all the time. Mm-hmm. You'll also have the capacity to sit with it too and to and to work through it and to connect. Yeah. And that's ultimately the goal of it, isn't it? It is. It's the beauty of it. That's why I just the just who she is, who Michelle is, this yogi, this social justice, you know, warrior, for lack of a better term. Um, yogi, it just feels so fitting. You know, it just feels so like a such a perfect combination because, you know, the tools that we, the, the, what we learn in yoga, what we practice in yoga is really just a perfect fit for what you need to not only just to live, but to kind of engage with these endeavors that require us to, you know, to, to find, to be our best selves, to make the choice, to be uncomfortable, to all the rest of it. And it's, it's so interesting that you brought that up that idea about being uncomfortable and about being a choice, because that is the one thing that has really stood out for me too. You know, I talked a little bit in the thing about um, my privileges. Like I know we talked about the idea of intersectionality and, and it, you know, it had me think a lot about my identities of privilege and how I've, I've basically like clung to those for dear life. You know, that's that those identities are the identities that I've chosen to live in because it's more freaking comfortable. So there's, and there's so there's some really confronting parts of this for me too, in the same way that there are for everyone. So what does that feel like now? And I would also imagine for your children who, you know, are, I guess, people of color for whatever, for whatever we got to, we got to, yeah. but, uh, so they have to negotiate and navigate the world. So if you're stuffing things down or, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to, to why wouldn't you live in the world of privilege? But then you've internalized that oppression, I think, are the words that she yeah. used. And yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah, you do. And I, it, what it looks like or what it has looked like um, in my life and what I'm maybe seeing a little bit of it in my kids, but I might just be interpreting it based on my own experience, yeah. is it, it looks like not talking about being black or not talking about your blackness, like, let's, we just won't bring it up. You know, we just, we just won't, you know, and, and so that question that, that you asked about, um, you know, black people talking about being black, and is it a, a relief? 
I was like, you know what? It is actually a freaking relief. It is because prior to this moment, talking about your talking about your blackness felt like you were you meaning me because I'm the only person I can, I can really talk talk from or talk about but it felt like uh pushing an uncomfortable experience into its space because no one if I'm the only one having this black experience and other people can't even relate who wants to talk about it who wants to hear about it and if it's yeah go, it, on the other side I don't want to talk about being white because yeah. because then I have to talk about a racialized world, which privileges me by virtue of you know if you stood people up against a wall in a lineup, yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like and so interrupted, but but well, that to the to me that means that we're complicit in keeping everything quiet. We are. We both we've been and that when I so this question from for myself that I have been spreading around like freaking confetti mm. this idea of you know how am I contributing to the problem I've been talking about that everywhere mm. um, that is my practice it's it's feeling those feelings of okay how am I contributing to the problem with my husband how am I contributing to the problem with my children how am I contributing to it you know and it's these examples where it's not talking about blackness. And it's not like I, you know, it's not like I lead, well, maybe I do. I was going to say, it's not like I lead with my blackness, but I kind of do in that there's no escaping it. Like Michelle said, you know, Mm. there's not, it's just who I am. Um, But I do know that there have been certainly in my life situations where talking about it could, could, um, I wouldn't say it was called for, but it was, it was a space that was open for that. And I just didn't do it. I was just like, mm, do you I don't think so. An example, or is that a bit too tender? Oh, gosh, I mean, or it's not specific. You're thinking of more. No, it's not specific. Like I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything exactly. Mm. But I, th- I'm thinking about um, my kids. Hopefully, they won't care about me talking about this. But um, they, they were well. My, my son was in a situation recently at a friend's place where the conversation, because the kids are talking about this now and they're getting quite passionate about, about it. And my kids, you know, I'm sharing as much of when I read something about something, I'm sharing it with them. And I'm looking at that uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Have you seen those? I've been posting those. Yeah. Did you see those? No, not, no. I've had. Oh, I'll I'll tell you about it. Yeah. Um, But oh yeah, I'll come back to it. But so he was in a situation, you know, at friend's house. He wasn't the only black kid there, but he was, there were two. And then, you know, there were, the rest were white kids. And this conversation with a, with a parent of the kid who was there came up about, you know, this whole situation. And the, the conversation kind of was more like, um, and this is hearsay, mind you, but it was more like, um, well, when I was young, you know, this is what we did. And we said this, and we used these words and we called our friends, you know, we called our, our um, indigenous friends, you know, these names and they didn't seem to mind and rah, 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 you know, these sorts of things. And when I heard this story, I, I felt the feeling of what it would have been like in a space to be talking about these issues Mm. as, you know, a 15 year old or a 16 year old. And with an adult, um, mm, that's yeah, because you you may not have the words or the resources to actually 
name. You know, that's why that vocabulary and that shared language that, that Michelle has in her book is so important. I know. Yeah. And, mm. and when I spoke to my son about it, he was kind of like, mm. and I said, well, how did you feel? You know? And he was like, well, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. And, and I said, well, you know, do you, you know, when people, when people use the N word, like, how does that make you feel? And he was like, I don't, it doesn't make me feel good. You know, even if it's in a benign situation, you know, relatively benign situation. Um, not, in other words, not being called that, but just the word comes up in the, in the conversation. Um, and he's like, I don't, I don't know, but I know I don't feel good. And so I talked to him about my, that question for myself of how am I contributing to the problem and not speaking up about how, cause it was a conversation. Like it wasn't just the parents sort of saying, you know, well, this is how it is kids not speaking up about how those things make you feel. You know, I hate to put the burden on my kids, but I kind of want them to grow up um, feeling connected to how connected to, you know, how they're feeling about certain things but also empowered to kind of speak up. And so I said to him, look, that in some ways that's kind of contributing to the problem. Um, and so you're like, oh. No, I, have a, I have a real hard time with your, with your language that you're contributing to the problem because, yeah. because and, I, and Michelle did too. She left right, right in on that. You'll notice she yeah. really let you get away with that because cause you're not white. So, so yeah there you have you, what you've done is internalize that yeah and maybe been complicit i don't think you're contributing so yeah. i'm more worried about your internal damage than the damage you've inflicted upon the universe if you know what i mean yeah. and it and that was where she said you need to really feel it and and work into it and and also identify the resources and support you need because yeah and i think with your kids it's like how are they resourced and supported to have those conversations to come mm -hmm. explain that, to feel into that? You kind of yeah. help with that, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I've, I don't know. Maybe I, I do. Maybe I'm just thinking about all of the situations in my life when, you know, something like that happened and this personal responsibility to say that's not okay but then just not doing it, you know, just not just letting it go and, and wondering in some ways, what did that create? Did that create a situation where a person, you know, and I, none of these people are mean or evil or anything. And many of them would be open to like learning and to understanding. And I definitely am internalizing it and kind of beating myself up thinking, you should have, you should have said something. You should have, you know, you should have educated this person. Um, but I also, I've been in a room when there are people of color that do say something. They're not me. They're different. They may have different resources and all the rest of it. How does that feel? But it, well, if I'm not saying anything and they are saying something, then it feels for me, to me, it feels, um, I feel guilty you know, it does not feel good. Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad something's being said. I wish I was the one who'd said it. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, I think as a parent, I'm trying to, I'm trying to have, I guess, help my, you know, we do that. We're like, I don't want my kids to go through the same stuff I did. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to create that environment, you know? 
and kind of and own it, I guess, because yeah. but it, it does take I recall I remember when we talked about, you know, those Olympians raising a fist or or yeah. even, you know, even when you see somebody being um, racialized or abused on the bus or if someone makes a, a joke or it takes a lot to step forward yeah. as a white person confronting other white people, let alone as a person of color, which then is like. It, it's a more vulnerable way to racialize the situation. Yeah. So it, so it feels like it's it's like white people that need to stand up and go, you know what? What, what was that? Yeah. You know, because then, I mean, you're in a position, I know you're probably, it's, not, it's a, a reasonable privilege and, and you're at an age where it's probably going to knock you, not knock you off your kilter, but it, it could affect your standing in, in a workplace or, you know, it's, it, we're, we're talking a hierarchy of power, power and privilege. Yeah. So, I mean, you've managed to get yourself somewhere, but, um, you know, for your son, it's like, what if he spoke up? What if there was a kind of awkward argument? That's, that's, mm. you want to have your words really, really there. Mm. Have the backing of your mom who's kind of, yeah, I guess walked you through it a little bit. Yeah. And, and you want to have that sense that you can get in touch with that feeling. Cause it, I don't know, it could potentially be a very brave thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I was really impressed. Um, in that story, because one of his friends, um, you know, one of his white friends and took it on, like had the conversation, had the big conversation with the, the adult that doesn't always happen. No, you know, that kind of thing doesn't always happen. And so those are the other things that I'm sort of thinking about too, is it feels so rare and it's probably going to happen a lot more these days because people are listening, Mm. but it feels so rare that, um, and this just goes straight back to what we were talking about at the beginning, that that white people will hear you and have and jump in and have that conversation, mm. you know, because nobody wants to talk about this stuff and nobody wants to talk about the racist person or even the accidentally racist person or whatever it is, you know, who sort of says something that's kind of off kilter. Nobody really wants to jump in there and, mm. you know so much of this is becoming about comfort, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And, and how, how we are just addicted to comfort. And I, I noticed, I listened to that on being podcast with Rizma Menachem and Robin. Uh, she wrote white. Uh, Fertility. Yes. Um, it's with a D D something. D'Angelo. 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 And she said, you know, and Michelle said the same, she does groups and she'll do breakout rooms where she says to people of color, you can stay with me or you can go into a breakout room, but you may be the only black person in the, in the breakout room or the person of color in the breakout room. So you can stay yeah. with me. And Robin D'Angelo said the same thing. She's like, okay, we're going to divide up into racial groups. And she said, white people just freak out. <laughs> they just <laughs> no. what? Because then what it does is draw attention to the position of privilege and, mm-hmm. and you know, where you're like, oh, hang on. And, and also, can't I access your conversation and be part of it? Like, mm-hmm. leaving me out of something? So it's a very interesting, you know, really interesting. Yeah. I, I just want to go back to your son's friend. Uh-huh. And I thought, and I wonder, you talked in the podcast about people who say to you, I don't see color. And that they're trying to be nice. And I get what they're trying to do. But, you know. But I bet that that friend, and I have no idea, never meeting him at all, but I bet that friend would not say that. It feels to me like he, like if you can, if you can have that conversation in the presence of whoever was there with an adult, that friend is like aware of 
and real and kind of embracing that wouldn't you know you know it's not I don't know how to say that properly though if you say you don't see color it also doesn't mean that I'm thinking of your color all the time mm-hmm. but it's also never not there yeah but it it's just not kind of the top issue but it's um but I'm but as you were saying, it was like a denial of part of your identity in a way. Yeah. And it's, it, I think it's a tricky sentiment. You know, I think what we're trying, what people are trying to say, and at least this is what I've taken it to mean. I think what people are trying to say is I don't treat you any differently or see you any differently or perhaps more treat you any differently um, based on your skin color. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they're saying or they're, they're trying to contribute, but, but I, it's hard for me to know. It, it, it is really hard for me to know because even then what it points to in my mind is that we need to, we need to create a different way of holding people of color in our bodies and in our thoughts and in our, you know, because if the only option for people is I don't see you and that's good, or I see you and that brings with it all of the whatever, like all mm. of the yuckiness that, you know, just, you know, your brown skin kind of means in society, it would be much better for me if we could um, live in a space that wasn't so, um, you know, didn't, didn't have this kind of weird dichotomy like that. It could, do you know what I'm saying? I'm, it's kind of. And maybe, I mean, she was also talking about all the different intersectionalities that we occupy. So, you know, your, your cisgendered heterosexual female, you know, all of those things, you're educated, et cetera. So those are your positions of privilege. I wonder if the person who says I don't see color would see color in the other person. So do they see, not see color because you, are so capable of navigating the, the white world. Right. You don't make me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Or do I not see color? Cause I'm, you know, I don't know. You're a friend. You know, there's lots of, and so, yeah. yeah, but also can I also hold so, that, that, that something might be difficult for you? Or, I mean, mm-hmm. particularly if I take the example of your son, say we went, I don't know, into city streets and um, walking, I, you know, there may be a thing where I need to see color and protect him or, or to step in or to, and I, and I think it's with other people um, when we talk to Jeevan Heyman about it, of all of the different, you've got to think who isn't in the room, who can't access these things. Yeah. Am I considering what's not here as much as what is here? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've really scratched a couple of big things here. And yeah. one, that this is incredibly complex Two, that our, the way that we see and engage with people of color is so ingrained in ourselves. It's so built in to who we are that they're, that shifting that, making a change to it is no small project. And I, I have to wonder, I, I, it, there's a part of me that feels like it's not possible in our lifetimes. You know, it's something that we're, um, I mean, evolution is a process. So it's something that, you know, we're, we're at a, a space in that evolution because it starts with minds changing, but man, 
it's well, it's culturally reinforced, like she said. It's this hierarchy, but then then it, there are policies and procedures that support it. There's culture that precedes it, that that supports it and reinforces it. It's like gender, though. If you think about it, we're much looser on gender than we certainly were when we were kids. Yep. Uh, much looser on sexuality, you know, that kind of thing. So as it becomes okay, it's it's... I guess we have to be really careful about our portrayals of things. Like I think this is where I think um, being inclusive and not, not just inclusive, but really genuinely inclusive is, is just as important as I just watched that Netflix thing called um, Lenox Hill, which is at Lenox Hill hospital. in oh. yeah. and, and one of the doctors is she's a maternity doctor or registrar. And she walked by pictures on the wall and she said, look at this. There's nobody of color. She was a woman of color. It is a woman uh-huh. of color. And she's like, there's no one of color. This is so important that I'm here. Mm-hmm. I mean, now the staff is, is very diverse, but it's, yeah. she said it's, it, it's so important for me and for my, she, eventually her daughter to see people represented in, in places and, and whether that's in TV shows or yoga studios or, and I think that's an important part of it. And I know, I know like um, being gay is um, portrayed much more in TV shows. So it normalizes things a lot. Exactly. Oh, and you've brought up such a great point because one of the conversations that I've been having recently is about the, this idea of diversity in, you know, television show, because we were, we were having a, a family conversation about friends and how there was a big call, you know, at some point during the run of that show, which ran for, I don't know how many years, I didn't watch it, but um, there was a big call for um, including a person of color in the freaking friends, you know, and there was no, and people were kind of like, they were being called out. And something that came up in the conversation was, well, isn't, wasn't that group a representation of, you know, society? like New York society. And I was like, even if it was, even if it was the, the point of having a person of color in there isn't necessarily so that, you know, you, what are you people of color? You what you're 13% of, you know, the population. So that means, you know, if you're, if, if you get a walk on role as the ice cream man, then we basically, you know, we've satisfied our diversity relative to, you know, the percentage no, the role, the, the the point of having somebody of color is to normalize it, exactly what you said, so that people get used to seeing people of color in different places. Because I'm sure we can all remember, even I can, and I'm not, you know, I'm not super old, but I'm not su- super young either. I can remember the feeling of the physical experience of when I, and this was maybe when I was young, so it was, or when I was a lot younger, so I was... Um, uh, perhaps maybe just a little bit immature, but the physical experience of being around um, LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. just that, and it, and it's, and it was just, I've never been, I would never have considered myself to be prejudiced of LGBTQ people have, oh, in fact, oh my God, I think I've drawn, I've been a little bit of a draw for them. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, always seem to be hanging out with gay men. Um, but, but you know, perhaps based on society and all that sort of stuff, that little bit of like, you're different and I, you're different in a way that my body can't absorb. And that experience is now gone. Like, you know, years later, it's been normalized through my own experience, my own engagement with people, um, LGBTQ community, 
but also through seeing it on television and this and that it's, I don't, I don't feel that in my body anymore when I'm around LGBTQ people, there's nothing that I can admit, you know, there's nothing that I can perceive. And I, I think it's the idea is to try to get to the same place with people of color. Mm, that's right. And not, not vanilla people of color. Yep. Like I, do, I don't want the token person on the TV show to be unconfronting. Like let's get people of color and culture. Yeah. Let's get, let's get a bit and Latina and whatever it is or, and, and, you know, indigenous in Australia, you know, which is, um, I don't want a kind of vanilla version that isn't confronting just because you just get a caramel colored face. I don't think that either. It's actually a different set of assumptions and a different way to see the world than through a story or a presentation or a connection. We can feel the worldview of, do you know what I mean? Rather than just a face that ticks the box. And I think that's important. Yeah. It's it's very important. Not just just seeing faces. And I, I think, I mean, I think that is happening more and more, but yeah, it's low. It, it does also surprise me when I watch the news or when I look at, um, there was something, uh, it was about the prison sentence, the prisons on, um, Netflix 13, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched that all the way, but I have, yeah, started it. Just, just how, and on the, um, dismantling racism site, there's a, a history thing, which I haven't got through all the way, but I, because I'm a reasonably benign person and I don't, I, you know, I don't think I would ever be actively racist towards someone. I could be systemically and I, and I would never try to deny that because I'm trying to explore it. But yeah. um, I just can't believe how overtly systematically racist people have been and, yeah. and that they literally killed um, Medgar Evers, you know, literally he was dangerous to, yeah. Then they just called him dangerous and they went and got him and just shot him. Mm-hmm. You know, Martin Luther King and um, Malcolm X. And and it's like, oh, that's that's more racist than just calling someone the N-word. That's like yeah. eradicating them, erasing them. And then yeah. you know, my daughter just did a whole thing on indigenous um, massacres and the role of women in it. And the whole the whole idea in BIPOC that indigenous people are have been assimilated out and are extinct and invisible is just appalling. I know it's not. But that there has been a systematic, like there were people who thought this stuff up. And I saw part of this awakening is also shaking off a little bit of naivete where you're like, oh, you know, just because I don't use that word or I don't do whatever. um, You actually got to come up against some active stuff that's happening and think, well, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to get in the way of it? rather than just think nice thoughts and educate myself, which as she, as she says in her, Michelle says in her book, um, intention is different than impact. Yeah. You know, so you can have all the nicest intentions and you know, I certainly do, but what's the impact? Yeah. Uh, you know, like as you were speaking about that, I was my, I was think I wasn't, well, what, what it brought up for me, <laughs> I was over here in the birds. Yeah, no, so, what it brought up for me was, um, the beginning of that conversation with Robin D'Angelo and how she talked about she grew up poor. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. And how she recognized that she was white. She was she was white, but white was better than being black. That's right. Dirt and, and dirty was still not yep. as bad as being black. Exactly. And yeah. I thought 
I do think at some level, like when I, when she was explaining that, I was like, was she honestly like, was she that aware of that at that time? I do think that that sentiment exists or that I, that, I do think that that, I don't, I think that understanding exists at, oh, I'm trying to think about how, how to communicate what I'm thinking right now. It's, I do think that that idea exists within all white people, that understanding. I don't know if it's necessarily that clearly, if they're that clearly aware of it. But when you talk about, huh? Go ahead. I would say would it depend on their privilege? So I was pretty oblivious, but I, I also wasn't at the bottom scrounging for position. Whereas when yeah. you are in that kind of trauma and in that in that survival state, you are so hyper aware of who's where the pecking order is much more in focus to you than yeah. someone who's obliviously living their life of privilege and it doesn't really matter. Well, it can depend. I think it depends on the degree to which you believe your privilege, whatever privileges those are, are at stake. So, you know, sure. there were, there was a story about this in somewhere in the South, um, this, there was this like vibrant black, com- black community of, merchants and uh, did you did you see that 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 thing something wall street or they called yeah black wall street that was burned to the ground like 300 people i think it was more than 300 people died it was burned to the ground by the you know the and i'm not sure exactly which group of white people did that but you can you know that the reason that was done was because there was a feeling of threat there, this is a threat to my way of being, to my way of living, to my ability to, you know, raise my family and or my beliefs, you know, all of that stuff. And I think that is what brings about, you know, these horrible assassinations of these, um, you know, amazing black leaders too. Is this feeling of threat? My way of life is being threatened, and it happens on all these levels. You know, if it's the one. You know, if you're this the dirty kid in you know kindergarten, then it's you know it's perhaps like your privilege perhaps is just that your your whiteness, and that's all you got. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it's, that makes me think again. And we talked about it with um, Jeevana Heyman, which is which it, it is kind of I'm not trying to get out of my obligation to be an anti-racist activist, but at the level of being a yoga teacher, I mean, we can actively engage with this stuff. But we also have to make people feel safe. And I don't always mean comfortable. Yeah. But you, if you cannot engage with distress tolerance with these issues, if you're so threatened, then you get people into very small minds and they're reactive like that and they do horrible things. Yeah. We can create a space of safety and, <clears throat> and calmness in that nervous system. Then there's the place for Ahimsa and Satya to get real about the world. And you can yeah. perceive better when you feel... Uh, I guess safer, more embodied in yourself, and more connected to yourself. And it feels like having that barometer is a kind of really important first step. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of, I think a lot of conversations between, and and I got to be kind of careful in this, but a lot of conversations between the black community or people of color and the white community are antagonistic. And that ends up in a situation like what you said, where people do not feel safe 
to consider, you know, to consider or to even hear what people are saying. You know, they're they're on some level um, trying to figure out how to get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, how to yeah. okay. how to escape. I, I want to qualify what I said. I think I'm speaking as a white yoga teacher. Yeah about my job to teach, which is a primarily white audience, you know, that I've got just because of where we live, we've got very little racial diversity. Um, you're, you're doing your, your hardest to like up the page, but I mean, really it's, it's, um, difficult after for both of us lived in New York, it's boring sometimes, but as a white person that might be, if there's justified anger as a black person, I don't know that we always need to turn that we they need to turn that down sometimes i do know what you mean and i think feminists do it and i think all sorts of people do it if you come out screaming and angry and bitter in any debate you're not going to probably have a satisfactory meeting of the minds yeah although there are sometimes when people talked nice for years you know had nonviolent protests for years and still got assassinated or yeah. you know there are are um you know, I don't, I'm not into terrorism either, but sometimes if you've tried politically to do something for, for years and nothing has happened, it does it doesn't surprise me that people hold up buses or pick up guns because what else has been allowed? So I, I just I just felt like I had to be careful. Sure, no, I understand. Too. And I think also sometimes people are allowed to get pissed off, and it's interesting to see it. But I agree with you if it's debate, you kind of so then, hearts and minds, it's hard. Yeah. So then. Um, the question I have for you then as a white yoga teacher speaking to a prime, well, almost entirely white audience, how do you feel you can prepare your students, your community, you know, once they dip their toe outside of, you know, this kind of, (laughs) this kind of white haven that we live in and even not, I mean, people are interacting globally through, you know, through the internet. But how can you prepare or help to prepare your students to be able to hear this? I've actually thought a lot about it because because since that conversation, it was like it really rang with me that what Michelle was saying, which is you can't just have this conversation and look at a few websites and sign up for a few emails and, you know, kind of even even read a few books and educate yourself, have a few conversations. What action are you actually going to take and and one action, one platform that I have is my class. And I do a lot of educating them about the fact that I am teaching them distress tolerance. Like I already talk about that because I'm interested in the subject of mental health and in them realizing that, yes, we're doing things with bodies in the class, but we're also engaging their mind and their beliefs and their, all the rest of it. And I thought, okay, am I going to bring this up? Like, especially cause you know, I've been thinking it a lot more in the last few days cause we've been engaging yeah. And I, and I, there is a dangerous feeling to it to say, if I bring up white supremacy, because I still, I mean, no one has talked to me about white supremacy until I went to the accessible yoga conference in my, in right. my, I mean, I've heard about white supremacy, but I just thought it was a bunch of Ku Klux Klan freakos, you know, that it was like, I had nothing to do with it whatsoever. Now here I am, I'm a 50 year old, 54 year old woman. This is terrifying. And I was also at the conference when it started happening. I'm like, hang on, is this what this conference is about? Like a little bit, I had like a little moment. And then I had a moment which was like, shut up, you know? And and it was mind blowing to have that hierarchy portrayed to me and to realize my position immediately. I could spot where I was in the hierarchy. And, and then, and, and again, to kind of take that other view. And it was a, a similar thing where we were talking about what pronouns people use. Mm. And... 
it isn't that you fix it, but if you if you didn't ever consider that people might prefer to be prefer or even not even it's not even a choice, but identify with different pronouns. Mm-hmm. And it's that process of getting outside of that and, and being confronted with it. So I feel a little afraid to make my students uncomfortable, but I'm not that afraid. Mm. Part of it is, is that I've built up a relationship of trust Yeah. and I will, I will vaccinate them. I will titrate the dose. Yeah. So that they don't get screaming from the room, but that they let, they get to consider it and feel it in their bodies in a low dose. And then we might explore. Yeah. But I've kind of made a commitment to myself to go there. I'll have to, someone will listen to this, and I'll have one person in my class on the next. But um, but it also feels brave, which is stupid. It's not brave. I'm not gonna. All I'm all I'm sacrificing there is income and platform. That's not much. I I I actually do think it's brave. I do, and I know you don't want to pat on the back. Um, for doing, you know, for doing what what you probably consider is something that needs to be done. But, you know, taking a stand for something, no matter what it is, it does require facing what you could be giving up. And when you're in a position where you do not have to give up whatever it is that you could be giving up at all, then I think it is brave to make that choice, you know? So can I turn the question back to you? And say, are you going to teach people about it? And because that's a different thing. That may be much braver because then you're racial, you know, then it's racializing it in that really racializing way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That is a great question because that is not a question I have asked myself at all. Okay. And nor, according to Michelle, is it your responsibility? It's mine. Mm. It's mine. And, and I think this is interesting because you, what, from, if I'll just take it from her, I'm not telling you, but I'm kind of interpreting what her words were, was your work is actually with yourself. And I guess with your kids and your family first to really feel into and work through that and resource yourself and resource your kids to make sure you're totally okay with that. And then there might be, you might make the choice to educate people. It's not your role. Yeah. It's interesting because as you say that, I feel the work that's required to be, to, you know, to internalize and, well, not internalize, but to, to resource myself. And because what I'm struggling with, which is what you probably have already guessed, is that feeling that it is my responsibility. So the, do you know what I mean? So the work for me is in accepting that it's not, you know? Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, because I've had I've been I've had lots of conversations recently, and we're going to have plenty more mm. um, about this subject, you know. And I feel like, and we talked about it with Michelle too, you know. This like everybody's asking me, and I'm, yeah. you know, you know. And so I do think that I want to continue to have those conversations. But I think, and thank you so much for asking this question and for bringing this up. I just think my mind space around it is going to be a slightly different. And perhaps not be coming from this place of this is my duty, this is my responsibility, which hopefully will perhaps open the door to a deeper connection with people around it. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, but- I guess a truer place, you know, I mean, and I think that's what she was saying is I, lo- I loved um, – how yoga, we talk, you asked about social justice and about 
really that yoga is about being in alignment and about feeling, you know, that, that, that you're in line with your principles and how did she put it about being aligned in integrity and aligned. Those assigned privilege only have to talk about social justice if they want to. And it's, and that's, I think that work is primary also before I go preaching, I got to, you got to, because that's also can be a thing where you open your mouth and you, you know, you're, you're talking all this shit, but you're not actually feeling it. Yeah. Yep. It was interesting when we talked about the book because you, I'd read the book and I, and I was like, yeah, I'll skip the exercises. Cause you know, I'll do those later. Cause I wanted to have the book all read before and yeah. you read the exercises and really felt it and were quite confronted by it. And I, and I thought, and then she said, that's what those exercises were for. So people yeah. feel into them. And I thought, oh, look what I've done. <laughs> I did exactly the, no, I'm not going to feel this. Oh, sorry. That might take some time. Like that was confronting. I didn't consciously do it. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like we have these patterns, don't we? They, they show up in different places. And when you can even recognize them, then you can start to see where else they're showing up. And that, you know what? The, um, I was reading, or I am reading Resma Menikam's book. Oh, lovely. Um, and it's the same. He he intersperses these experiences, um, these kind of somatic experiences through the book. And he says, at the outset of the book, he says, do not skip the experiences. Like if you... If you know, if you're reading and you know you've got to leave the house or you've got to whatever or you're in your dry, whatever it is, and I was li- was I listening? Yeah, I was listening to it. Yeah. Um, and so if you're not in a place where you can do the the experience, then wait, wait till you get to a place where you can do it, then do it, and then move on. Okay. And I love that. I really do. It's very counter to the way that we. Uh, engage with the world. I mean, hell, half the time when I'm listening to stuff, I've got it on like 1.5 or one point, you know, I'm like, gee, let's just get through this. You know, just get cut to the chase, cut to the chase. And I think that's what we're not doing in yoga is we are feeling it. And, and that I would like to come things at from the, come at things from the kind of the intellect, like learn it, you know, study it and do whatever. And then whether I let my body go there is a completely different thing. Yeah. I, I really like that the, that the body is political. Both of them talk about that, 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 and he calls it white body supremacy. And, and that, mm-hmm. you know, as we said with the, the uh, or as Michelle said, with the death of um, George Floyd, mm-hmm. that was a white body kneeling on a black body. You know, it's really, it's confronting. It's yeah. so it's, it's, it's not, it actually feels good to slow down and do that. It's, it is what our work is and what we, what we want. And it feels safer talking to you. Like I feel really so happy to, to, explore with you and, and you know I can't tell whether that's because you're a person of color you know it's, I just we've engaged this conversation together I don't know how yeah. I know it would be a different conversation if we were both black or both white or whatever but it's also lovely to have a friend to feel safe enough to delve into this stuff and know that I can ask some kind of weird questions that we're gonna we're gonna work with each other on it kind of and and, yeah. and fumble a little bit and and but also we've both together in our conversations made a commitment to keep this going. And that seems to be something that the podcast is now a little bit about. I know, isn't it? And I have to say that the feeling is mutual with that. Mm -hmm. I don't have these, this level of these kinds of conversations with everyone. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, even just thinking about it, I think I would potentially, it would, I would, I don't 
I don't know if it would be as easy for me to have this kind of conversation with another person of color, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's weird. And it's maybe that may speak to just the relationship that we have as opposed to anything else, you know, your color. Yeah. But um, but I feel like it's it's a bit of a gift. So thank you for just being you and being able to, to hear me in a way that um, is allowing me to explore this stuff myself because I do I do not have any answers whatsoever. All I know is just you know how I feel and the yeah that's interesting because it uh, the question that I've been talking about lately because I it came to me on the mat the other day is like a double thing was how do you feel and how does that make you feel mm-hmm. and. So that's kind of, that's my question for myself. Or that's my kind of set of questions, you know, whether, whether I'm, whether that, how do you feel question is about emotionally and then, you know, what that ingen or what that creates in terms of your physical experience or even other, other emotions or thoughts. And that's kind of how I'm moving through this whole process. Hmm? I love those two questions. That's very yogic. It's very, yeah. you know, that we work with our body and we work kind of in that bottom up kind of way with our physiology and our physicality and our vagus nerve and all, all, you know, all of that. And then we work with our higher minds and our, and our thinking minds and our consciousness. And, and then, so it's like, how do you feel? You got to let that happen. You got to let your organism feel it. And yeah. then you can say with your consciousness, how does that make you feel? Yeah. That's absolutely beautiful. Char. No, <laughs> it just came to me. <laughs> but I was like, oh, you know, those moments when you, something comes to you and you're like, Oh, that feels like it answers a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Like it's just, feels like the question. So yeah. But it does. But I also think you did answer a bunch of stuff by saying, I don't have any answers and to give yourself permission to feel and to explore and not to know. And I think that's a really important for everybody. Yeah. If you've, if you've got it all sewed up tight too quick, that Michelle was like, you're not doing the work. Yep. That's so true. And we've seen what that looks like. Haven't we? I feel it also. I feel that I, I you know, yeah. okay, just give me something neat and tidy to do. You know, how can I tick the box or whatever? It's not, I, I don't, I don't mean that it's, it's, it's the desire to be effective and helpful. It's not to, to get out of something, right? but we want it clear cut, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that we know, so that we don't have to sit with this uncertainty so that we, all the rest of it, it's like, look, I, I want to know, I, I want to help. So just tell me how, you know, kind of thing. And sitting with yeah. uncertainty is exactly what yoga is about. Yeah. And it keeps coming up too. Yeah, it does. It does. I know. So it's kind of an interesting thread that we're by no intention at all has has sewed its way through each of these episodes that we've been doing. I know. Isn't it? Cool. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I really do. But if yeah. what yoga's about, then that's yeah, that's what it is. Exactly. Cool. Well man, I'm so glad we decided to do this. I really am, because both of us were feeling and thinking a lot after this this talk in particular, and we knew that everything that we wanted to say um, hadn't been said. And it wasn't like a simple, like three minute outro or, you know, whatever of something or intro of something. Um, And also I'm hoping that in talking through this and our experience of it and how, you know, the residue that it's left or the fragrance, I suppose you can say that it's kind of left behind for us. I'm hoping that that is equally inspiring to the audience and also e- equally enlightening to to them because perhaps perhaps they might be feeling the same way about some of this stuff, you know. And go on and have conversations also with with your conversation people because yeah, yeah, that's uh, I I think so too, and I think that's that does kind of keep the reverberations of it going. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's our commitment, isn't it? It's our commitment. Exactly. So I hope to the listeners that you guys, that it, that it made you think and feel stuff that it made you feel. And then it made you think, how do I feel? What does that make you feel? Yeah. Love it. Mm. Thank you, friend. Thank you. <laughs> we're, we're such a love party. It's so fun. I know. Cool. And before we let you go, just a quick question. You know, we'd love to know how these conversations are landing with you. Have they brought you greater understanding? Have they felt relatable? Have they made you feel uncomfortable or perhaps even more comfortable about talking about these subjects? You know, given that this Pandora's box is, has now been opened, Maria and I are really committed to keeping this conversation going. So we'd really love to hear what you're talking about in your living rooms and boardrooms and classrooms. So feel free to drop us a line and share your thoughts or any questions, you know, that these chats are stirring up for you. And so in our next podcast, we're going to be jumping into the world of subtle yoga with Maria's longtime friend, Christine Calvary Weber. It was a incredibly fun conversation, very inspiring with someone who's passionate about what she does and does it so, so well. So stay tuned for that one and consider subscribing to the podcast if you want to be not- notified when that episode lands, which should not be too far away. Again, thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. Namaste.